0: something inspiring when you listen to the Garden Question podcast. Hello, I'm your host Craig McManus. This is episode 23, Lisa's Garden Revealed on the Garden Question podcast. A follow-up to episode 22, communicating your garden ideas on paper with Lisa Nunnamaker. Lisa reveals her strategy in designing her new garden under the shade of massive white oak trees. She is an award-winning designer, artist, and educator. In this episode, we will explore her garden and design influences. Lisa is a master at teaching others how to communicate garden design and landscape graphic ideas on paper. Her website, papergardenworkshop.com, is a fun and spirited place to begin learning new amazing drawing and design techniques. Lisa teaches her beautiful illustration skills and landscape design on her website and the Department of Horticulture at Iowa State University. Lisa also holds degrees in landscape architecture is registered in the state of Iowa and formerly served on the Association of Professional Landscape Designers National Board of Directors. This is episode 23, Lisa's Garden Revealed, with Lisa Nunnemaker on the Garden Question podcast. You're invited to ask your garden design, build, or grow question at thegardenquestion.com. Not only do you get a chance to ask your own question, but you might inspire the next episode of the Garden Question podcast. So go to thegardenquestion.com and ask your question. What do you wish people would do differently when designing, building, or growing a garden?
1: I think the biggest thing that I think about is to step back and look at the entire space versus buying a plant, coming back to your yard and saying, I'm not sure where to put this because there's no overall plan. And and you don't have to have a plan for the entire landscape, but maybe at least do the entire front yard or do the entire backyard. It's really important when you're doing spatial design. Spatial design is when you're creating the spaces. That's where we should generally begin. It doesn't have to be detailed, but if you kind of understand that this is your dining area and you want to put a hedge along this eventually, it's Easier. So when you do go and you see a sale at the nursery, local nursery, and you come back with plants, be like, oh yeah, okay, this is where my outdoor dining area is going to be, and I know that I want to have something low along the edge of it. Now in your head, like you have a place for it. So even my own garden, I do plan the overall spaces first, and I am that person that goes to the nursery and I don't have a plant in mind. I just know that I need something low and it could handle shade, and I'm visualizing in my head what I want it to look like because I already have the plan for my yard. When I say a plant, I don't necessarily have all the plants picked out. I just generally know the sizes and the shapes of the plants and the edges of my hardscapes I feel it's important to think about that entire space, whether it's the backyard or the front yard, just so when you start Mm -hmm. buying plants, you can add to that space. And the other thing, too, really quick is planting in mass. And I know a lot of people have heard this and they know this. Go to the nursery and you're buying a plant, unless it's a specimen plant or it's going to be on the corner of something. If it's perennials, try to encourage yourself to buy more than one, (laughs) hopefully three, five, seven If I know that I need to fill an area, but maybe it's a plant, I can't afford a lot of them. Maybe it's a plant that I can divide. Like alliums are a great plant for that. I can divide them and I can get more of them long term. So maybe now I can't divide it, but I could divide them in a couple of years or a year and then I can start spreading them out. Thinking of things, your space holistically. And then when you're buying plants, try not to buy just one of something, unless it's a specimen, try to think of in terms of buying three or seven or more than that and planting it in a mass instead to emphasize your spaces. That's a whole nother discussion, but (laughs) that's where I would start.
0: What do you mean by planting in mass to emphasize your spaces?
1: One of the ways to unify a landscape is to repeat plants over and over again. So if you repeat them and mass them, using one species, the massing of the uh, plants versus seeing them as individual plants. And there's rules with that, of course, or guidelines. One of the guidelines is to plant in odd numbers. If you can, if you have less than eight Plants typically odd numbers are really great, but if you have more than seven or eight plants, then odd numbers it doesn't matter anymore because your eyes can't count them and separate them out anymore. When it's a smaller group, of three, five, seven, work really great to reinforce that massing.
0: Massing is to like species to grow together in a mass,
1: right? Correct. When I create a plan, I like to draw the plant shapes or the circles to the mature size of the plant. So when I lay them out, I can overlap the circles a little bit. So as they grow, they do grow together and they look like one group of plants or one mass of plants versus having an individual plant and then having a space and then having an individual plant, then having a space. If you can connect them and touch them and actually create that massing, it's a stronger design element for your garden, for your design.
0: Yeah. Do you ever want to strangle a guy with a power shear that goes out there and cuts all those into little balls rather than letting them come together in a mass? (laughs) It (laughs) depends.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes it's okay. It depends on what they're doing it for. <laughs> I like when the plants touch and I'm not against, definitely I'm not against pruning. I love hedges, but I like when they're touching each other. It actually creates a group versus, like you said, make them into each ball of plants. I'm okay with it if you have two groups of one, maybe you have a plant on either side of your doorway, then it's okay to have one and one. I guess if you really want to trim them, <laughs> that's perfectly fine, or you can hopefully enjoy the natural form of that plant but
0: (laughs) i like that yeah that's a lower maintenance way to me is just enjoy natural forms exactly what is your earliest garden memory?
1: My earliest garden memory. I grew up northwest of Chicago. I lived in the city when I was young, and then we moved out to the suburbs when I was a little bit older. I remember driving to Indiana to see my great grandparents? They had this farm, and they had this amazing vegetable garden. I don't know if there was flowers. I just remember being absolutely amazed because I was coming from the city. We lived in Chicago at the time, and I had never seen anything like that before. And I was just smitten with that. <laughs> my mom and dad don't garden, and they never have and probably never will that kind of stuck with me until eighth grade we went we got to go to washington dc for a eighth grade field trip and i begged my parents to go we saved up for months so i could go to this trip and we went to mount vernon you know george washington's house i had never seen anything like that before in my life and i could not believe it and i remember in 8th grade buying the site plan for mount vernon and i would just look at that thing all the time and you know i didn't have anybody in my life that could tell me oh that's a landscape designer or that's a garden or this is how you i mean nobody in my life knew anything about any of that <laughs> even design i didn't know any designers either All I know is, is that I was infatuated with Mount Vernon and I just kind of hung on to that for a long time. I tried to plant stuff in our yard, which by the way, our yard was basically a tomato plant and a mulberry tree (laughs) because my mom liked tomatoes and she probably didn't realize the mulberry tree was a weed tree.
0: (laughs) What is your funniest garden story?
1: So this is not a funny story per se. When we bought our house, we we loved this house. It was flipped. We would, we just bought it last year before the pandemic started. And I said, I don't care what the outside looks like. I just want the inside to be nice because we didn't have the skills to make it look nice. But the outside, we can do whatever we wanted. Mm-hmm. This is not funny at all. I'll just tell you that right now. It's just an interesting story. But, <laughs> but we have these beautiful...
0: Is it pathetic? <laughs>
1: It could be pathetic. You may not want to use this story. <laughs> we have like three or four really mature oaks. I mean, the the caliper of the tree is probably between three and four feet. They're humongous. Mm. So there's, and we have a very small lot. We're in the city of Des Moines, so it's a very small lot. But this was one of the first times that I had so many restrictions on being able to design something because we wanted to be careful of the trees. Whole backyard design is this silly, funny-looking, skewed design because I had to work around those oak trees. So when people look at it, they're like, why is it on this weird angle? And I'm like, because usually I would say work off the grid of the house. And if I were to work off the grid of the house, Mm -hmm. it would have been very different. But because the trees were there. And I didn't want to get too close to the trees. We have this really, it's not even a 45 degree angle. I don't even know what angle it is, but everything's based off this really strange line. It's very geometric, but I had to work on this skewed line because of the oak trees. But in the end, it it ended up being fun and dynamic. And I love it. And we both love it. It's funny how a site can tell you how something will be and you can never envision it. And now it's this crazy, funky looking design all because of, well, in this case, it's the trees, but it could be for anything. So that's not really funny. It's more of a funky, (laughs) it's more of a story about how I had to use my my silly looking design that we have ends up coming from the site conditions. In the end, that would end up being great. So that's why I always tell people, don't get frustrated by boundaries and things that might be in the way, because in the end, those are the things that actually make your designs really great.
0: I've got this idea that the more constricted we are, the more creative we got to be. Yes. So those oak trees constricted you on the site. That's a major constriction we're used to some constrictions like boundaries and things like that, but you became really creative in that.
1: Right, right, which is fun. When you said about the constrictions, one of the things that I like to tell people is, we always talk about thinking outside the box, but I always tell people Mm -hmm. we need to think inside the box because we need to have constrictions to make us more creative by narrowing down. So I always use the example of, you know, if you're going to have a birthday party, if you just say, I'm going to have a birthday party, and then now you're going to go out and buy you know, let's just say plates and balloons and cake, you don't know where to start because there's no constrictions. If I were to say, we're going to do a ladybug birthday party, all of a sudden the ideas just come spewing out like, let's do black and white. Let's do polka dots. Let's do cute little antlers for, you know, for your heads. Let's do antlers, antennas. (laughs) Let's use cute little antennas for your head decorations. Let's do insect parties and so all of a sudden, all these ideas come throwing out of you because you've constricted yourself yeah. versus, and that's the idea of themes. And that's the whole idea of themes, of course, too, that when you restrict with a theme, you get more ideas, too. And that's why budgets are good. Is that a good thing to say? Yeah. <laughs> budgets are budgets, budgets. are a good thing because they actually make us more creative. If we had unlimited money and they, if someone said, do whatever you want, that's really difficult to work with.
0: Yeah, budgets are good. Yeah, that's the ones I don't like. When it's just a wide open space, there's no constrictions because there's I don't know. It's just hard. It's just hard.
1: You just have to do a ladybug theme. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll do a ladybug garden there, <laughs> <laughs> or a peanut butter and jelly garden.
1: Exactly. That's great.
0: Oh, uh, okay. Uh, you're. <laughs> Uh, You're a designer, artist, and educator. Why did you decide to pursue the design profession? You
1: know, when I was younger, I'd mentioned about going to Mount Vernon and um, seeing my grandparents' garden. In high school and middle school, I was infatuated with Lego blocks, like a lot of kids are. I also had Barbies, and my mom was kind enough to let me use an empty closet in the back of our house, and I built an entire town back there. And this is a kid that, you know, we didn't have any money, so I would always... I had to do whatever I could. I would a garage set, go garage sailing to find either old Barbie things or I would create my own. I would build things out of, you know, toilet paper rolls and, you know, old cereal boxes for beds and and I always enjoyed that idea of creating these spaces so i actually created three houses with my my barbies and we had sidewalks and i don't know what it is that i was always drawn to that so when i went to college i knew i wanted to do design i had never heard of landscape architecture so that's what my degrees are in I was looking up architecture because I, I knew what an architect was because the Brady Bunch told me what an architect was. I knew what that was. Um, so I kind of had that in the back of my mind and I knew what an interior designer was. I said, okay, if I just go into one of those, even though my interest was in outdoors because of the forts we used to build, I searched everywhere. And while I was searching for architecture, the word landscape architecture came up. And of course, this is before the internet. So we had databases in our schools. And somebody from Iowa State came to my high school in Illinois because I was in northwest northwest of Chicago. And we were talking about architecture. And she says, well, we also have this thing called landscape architecture. I'm like, what's that? When I went to Iowa State, I actually applied to both because I wasn't sure what landscape architecture was. And the, this is a funny story. When I told my guidance counselor in high school that I wanted to do something with planning outside, I said, I don't know what it's called. Like I want to like maybe plan like gardens or cities or just do outdoor spaces. He said, oh, that's that is civil engineering. You need to go into civil engineering. I'm like, that didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> civil engineering is an amazing field, but I just knew that wasn't the field that I wanted to go into. So right. when this person from Iowa State said, we have architecture and landscape architecture, I explored both when I went to the orientation. And I'm like, Yes. When I saw the orientation, it clicked. I'm like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And the cool thing is, is I actually teach, I, my, my degrees in landscape architecture, but I teach landscape design in the department of horticulture at Iowa State now. Mm-hmm. And they're a little different, but they're very similar. It's just cool to be able to, my real interest is in residential design. The landscape architecture program really didn't cover residential design. We were, you know, we did larger scale. Mm -hmm. design like you know subdivisions and scenic byways and campgrounds like much larger but I but I obviously learned some great things we we had great plant classes in our department we had Gary Haichu who is amazing he we taught you know about plant communities and native plants and so I learned some really great things in that department and so when I transitioned more into residential design when I started teaching it I was ready for it but yeah that's kind of how I got there. Just I was innately drawn to Lego blocks and Barbies and I just wanted to design everything. And in many ways, I always I I've told my mom before, I told other people that I'm really glad that we didn't have a lot of money because it really forced me to create things that I couldn't have. Yeah. And I always think too, I use drawing a lot and Legos to create the things that I couldn't have. Like I was able to draw the things. That I wanted to have or or design, or you know gardens to me were only the one for for the rich, that's how I always imagined it, right and so drawing them was like, well, that was one way to be able to get that, which was really cool. I mean obviously now I know that's not true, but at the time as a child, you know my parents didn't have a garden,
0: yeah, yeah. so I
1: thought, only only the rich have gardens, you know right so it's an interesting that's a that's a long answer, but um but that's kind of how I got into design or kind of went that direction.
0: Well, you know, in history, uh, that is kind of the case. It was the at one time where the rich only had gardens. Yes. Not that you're that old, but, you know.
1: <laughs> but you're right, though. I mean, that is so true. It is true.
0: <laughs> I'm still in search of a funny garden story from you.
1: The funniest story that I have is that my childhood was a la- an empty landscape with, like, one to three tomato plants and a mulberry tree, and somehow that influenced me to go into this profession. <laughs> well,
0: that's a long jump, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It really is. I, I analyze myself a lot. Actually, I kind of laugh about it because I'm like, "Why did I go in? Like, what was it that made me four kids in my family? Like, why was I interested in this?
0: That creativity <laughs> that you were showing as a child, though. And I think we ought to give our children more opportunities to do things like that. I played with blocks, but I would bring things in and and these weren't just your normal store-bought blocks. I'd go to the houses being built down the street and pick up all these little chunks of wood and bring it back and play with those.
1: Oh, that's cool. I know you're right though. You're right
0: more with lisa after this thegardenquestion.com is an awesome website because we expand each podcast episode with accurate resources and links for gardeners you can also listen to every single episode again as many times as you like think of it as an extension of the podcast at thegardenquestion.com What is your most valuable garden mistake?
1: I wouldn't say it's particularly one mistake, but when I graduated from college, I was able to work for Iowa State University in their facilities department, which was one of the best things I could have ever have done because I was in the design office. We have crews on campus that install the designs that we do. Basically, Iowa State is a design-build company in many ways. For bigger projects, we do hire out both designers and companies. But in-house, we would design and install ourselves. You go from the theoretical world of college, (laughs) and then you start designing. And then great crews that have been doing installation of plants for years have to deal with this young designer (laughs) that comes in. And I remember I would put plants on designs where the tall plants would be in the front and the short ones would be in the back. And I would do details for paving that were, I wouldn't say they were wrong. They just weren't appropriate for maybe that site. Looking back and I, and I've, and I, even at the time I was very thankful that, They took me under their wing and shared with me. They were great about telling me, okay, Lisa, they would look at my designs and they'd be like, this isn't going to (laughs) work. You need to do this. You need to do that. Or don't plant that plant. We've planted it a hundred times. It doesn't do well here. I had a series of mistakes. I'm really thankful that I didn't work for just a pure design office first for my own personal reasons, because I didn't have a lot of design experiences. I didn't, my parents didn't garden. So I didn't have the knowledge of what plants do well, what don't, what do they actually look like year round? Because I had just come out of plant classes where I only saw them certain seasons. Working with these other designers and these crews that were installing the landscapes, they were honest with me. And luckily I I was someone that realized I didn't, I I knew I didn't know everything. So I was very open to learning. They would constantly tell me, try this try that we're not going to do that. Can you change that? And they would just tell me up front. Some mistakes got through, and I had to deal with it. I, mean, I remember once we designed an entire children's landscape, and I had been there for, for a few years at that point. They called me over to the site, and they could not get one of the playground equipment pieces in because I did not have the correct clearance. But we had already put the hardscapes in. So I'm like, oh no, what are we going to do? <laughs> and I'm like looking at it and looking at it and. Luckily, after thinking about it for a while, I realized it was just shifting the entire playground to like three or four degrees and maybe probably more than that, like 20 degrees. And then it was like, oh, now it fits, now it works. That experience and all the other ones have shown me that there's a solution to everything. That's probably the biggest things that I've ever learned is no matter what mistake you made, whatever didn't work, I have learned that there is a solution to everything. You just have to step back and think about it instead of getting upset and angry about it. I mean, we'll get a little upset and angry. It's okay to get a little (laughs) upset and angry. There's always a, a solution. So yeah, I made a lot of mistakes in the beginning and I still do, of course. Those early crews, I'm just thankful I think the biggest thing that I would encourage other people to do that, especially people that are new to this profession or any profession, is to don't think you know it all. Because even now, I will be honest, I don't. And it hurts people when they think they know it all and they don't listen to somebody else and get their inputs. If someone else has been installing paving for 30 years, they're probably going to know more than you. So it's important to step back and listen and learn versus assuming and having a big head and saying, I'm not going to listen and I'm not going to fix the thing that didn't work. I learned early on it's more important to step back and listen to the people that have been doing it for years. They even let me install lots of projects with them, which was really kind of them because I learned really quickly. I'm like, I think I need to have some installation experience. So they were kind enough to let me do that. Like right off the bat, I needed to learn the skill. When I make a mistake, know that I can fix it. Also be willing to listen to people that have been doing it for years and learn the best way to do that and be able to, to fix it for the future.
0: Did they let you do maintenance with them? Because I think that's a lot of times I see in designs that if somebody could do the maintenance on this landscape, they probably wouldn't have designed it that way. Exactly.
1: I didn't specifically do maintenance because I worked for facilities. You know, we were doing snow removal and weeding and mowing. So I worked closely with them. So I heard everything. If I had a design that was going to hinder being able to to pile up snow in the winter, I heard about it. I am very thankful for that, too. Exactly. Maintenance is one of those we never talk about in school. I learned so much at that job. I learned about maintenance. I learned about design. I learned about installation. I did learn a lot about maintenance, not directly because I was doing it, but because the crews were always honest with me and told me, like, this isn't going to work for mowing. This isn't going to work for snow removal, you know they would always tell me, and it was it was great. I was very fortunate for that, yeah, yeah,
0: I would like for you to complete this statement in my garden, I have
1: in my garden, I have lots of great outdoor rooms that we planned the rest of my garden. <laughs> Is of course still a work in progress, like most gardens. I have a great start to some fun design plant communities that I'm putting in my garden. The biggest thing is, is that I feel like we've created some great outdoor rooms to start. We're using our garden a lot because of it, which is awesome. And in my garden, I also have two crazy dogs. Speaking of maintenance, I've learned a lot about dogs and digging. And
0: oh, yeah, we could do a whole show on dogs and gardens.
1: I know. <laughs> pouncing. (laughs) (laughs) That is my garden in my garden. I would say the thing I love the most about it is that we have great outdoor spaces that we are using and we get to spend a lot of time outside, which is really awesome.
0: What are your future plans for your garden?
1: Future plans are we would love to add more edibles into it. I love the mix of formal gardens with informal gardens and then also edibles mixed in. We have a lot of shade, so I'm doing more of a design plant community approach where we're trying to do communities for uh, shade. Over the years, I'm hoping to fill that in. Oh, and there is no turf. We will not have any turf. The yard, the backyard already has no turf. I'm not against turf. I actually, I love it to be honest with you in many ways because there's, there's a great, there's great benefits to it, but we don't need turf and we have a small yard and um, I'd rather fill it with plants long term. The goal is to not have any turf in both the front and backyard. The backyard doesn't have any now. We already took it all out. The front yard, I'm hiring somebody to build a wall and redo our stairs and do all these cool things out front. When they're done with the hardscape, then we're going to get rid of the turf in the front yard also and try and experiment with some different things. So I'm kind of excited. I see my yard as that experimental thing that I've been wanting. I've had big yards in the past and I'm excited to finally have a small yard so I can do really intense gardening, which I've always loved to do. That's kind of where it's going.
0: Please explain the approach to designing and plant communities.
1: The idea of plant communities, there's actually a couple terminology or words I should probably explain a little bit more. So, plant community is a naturally occurring grouping of plants. So for instance, plants that grow in a prairie or plants that grow in the woods on the south side of the woods or the north side of the woods. Designed plant community would be a plant community that we as designers would create. We would be inspired by a natural plant community, but it does not have to be all native plants. For instance, you might have a right-of-way in an urban environment that has a certain type of soil and maybe it's full sun. The idea is to find plants in a naturally occurring site that would grow in that setting and would like those conditions but aren't necessarily native, even though starting with a native plant community is a great place to start. Then you can add additional plants that are not invasive, of course, to be able to live in that site. It's really about can you find plants that would grow well together, they need the same conditions. They would have the same competitive nature in terms of they're not going to outcompete each other in that space. Aesthetically, you want to make sure they work together also. This idea, you can read about it more in a book called Planting in a Post-Wild World by Claudia West and Thomas Rayner. It's a great book. They talk a lot about design plant communities, and there's a lot of great books now. I know Kelly Norris also just wrote a book called New Naturalism, and he speaks about that too. It's just a great way to to approach a site and it's not necessarily native plants in particular. It's about starting with that if you want to, but then making sure you find plants that all like the same conditions. It seems logical, but we oftentimes won't plant plant materials together that actually like the same conditions, whether it's dry, wet, shade, sun, clay soils, rich soils, whatever that might be. That's kind of a, a summary. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in more of those other books, would be a great place to read more about it. Yeah, My partner and I, when we got together a couple of years ago, he let me know that he is not a gardener and he hates maintaining them. And I appreciated that honesty because <laughs> <laughs> as we looked for houses, I knew it had to be a house that I could maintain myself, that I need a small garden. The irony of it all is that he's the one that's moved the most rock and cut the you know patios out in the back. He's done just as much work as me. Yeah. I didn't ask him. He wanted to jump in. Kind of cool how that worked out.
0: Well, he might develop a love for gardener.
1: I know. <laughs> yeah (laughs) it's all sweet how it all works out A music garden yeah 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 exactly exactly honey this is your thing
0: it's gonna be a music garden you'll love it
1: (laughs) we did talk about that actually we never went that direction but uh, we did talk about it it's so funny I love it I love it but yeah I love having a small garden it's so much fun because I can actually create the spaces and the the beds are there and it's really easy and it's really cool so it, it's been fun
0: what's your favorite plant?
1: right now For the well actually for the last few years has been alliums I love alliums um, I have I don't know how many different cultivars in our, <laughs> in our yard right now yeah. a lot and I've been moving them this is the third house I've been to probably in the last five years and this we'll stay here for about 10 hopefully until we retire now but I've been moving them with me poor things but they've obviously they're like hostas you know <laughs> They Mm -hmm. can move with me. The first year, though, that I've planted actual allium bulbs, like the big ones with the big, the gigantic ones, I usually have just the ones that like the summer beauty and millennium and Medusa, I have all those kind of alliums, but this is the first year I've actually incorporated the spring blooming ones, not just the summer ones, and it's been fun. I've been trying to do more uh, matrix style planting where we have grasses and we have the alliums mixed in and a whole bunch of other plants, and it's been fun. So. Yeah, I love alliums because I know I can divide them and spread them out if I need to, if I'm ever sure to plant somewhere else. And they do well in shade and sun here, which is kind of crazy. I'm mean, not deep shade, but but part shade, which is really nice.
0: Do you have to dig them up in the winter or will they overwinter?
1: They overwinter. Yeah. The other reason I like alliums too is because they look good when they're not blooming. Mm. I like plants that look good when they're not blooming too, because I love I love texture in the garden. So I'm always looking for plants that look good when they're not blooming. And alliums, amazing. At least, you know, the the summer blooming ones. Mm-hmm. The bulb ones obviously disappear. So I love that they're drought tolerant, because especially this summer, because we've had no water for who knows how long now. And alliums always look great, even if it's dry.
0: All right. What's the second most favorite plant? <laughs>
1: My second most favorite plant. What else do I go crazy about? Hmm. That is such a great question. Do I have a... I mean, I love things like... I do like pagoda dogwoods. I don't have one yet, but I like plants like that that have very strong like horizontal mm-hmm. architecture to them. Like plants by themselves that look, just look really great. And right now, I'm into sedges and i know they're i know they're popular in general right now but i'm into sedges because i'm trying to incorporate this very clean but yet wild landscape and i love sedges because that can be the base plant mm-hmm. kind of the background the matrix plant and then it just kind of fills everything and then you can punctuate it with other plants so i've been learning about them Um I don't, kelly norris you probably know kelly kelly norris just wrote new naturalism he just released that okay and he's Yeah. Moin here with me. So I'm always picking his brain for plant ideas. And he's really into carrots species right now. C-A-R-E-X. That's a whole funny story in itself. Someone, I was doing a talk one time and I was talking about carrots, sedges, and someone thought I was saying carrots. (laughs) C-A-R-R-O-T the vegetable and i couldn't like we were miscommunicating i didn't know what they were talking They're like i didn't know that carrots could grow under trees and in the shade and i'm like yeah they're great they're you know we're like talking back and forth and then all of a <laughs> sudden it clicked i don't think they and I them and i are talking about the same thing <laughs> 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 so yeah i'm kind of into carrot species right now because we have so much shade and i like that matrix look where you have a dominant grassy type plant and i'm trying some different grasses too in the front in the in the sun also with the alliums but yeah i'm really loving that look of when you fill up your yard with carrots, and it's this beautiful undulating grassy look you know like hair i actually it's kind of funny i actually will use my rake when i rake our gravel paths and i'll comb out the carrots that overhangs the (laughs) (laughs) the path but i'm like that looks so cool That's going overboard, I know. Look, I'm not I'm actually not that crazy about making things look perfect. You would never think that if you saw my yard. Carrick's does have that look to it, like hair. It's kinda <laughs> it's kind of a neat look. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> do the oak leaves I mean, I don't know what type of oaks you have, but do they get intertwined in the carrot?
1: They do. So we have white oaks in the back and there are leaves everywhere. So it's funny because I just ordered, I just decided today that I'm going to do the monthly plan for leaf taking away instead of having bags because we get so many leaves. I needed to pay for the big system, like a big, you know, big barrel for them. But um, no, we get a lot of leaves and they do fall in the carrots and in Everything. So that's one thing. Of course, I did not anticipate. I love the oaks, and I would never give them up. But it is a lot of. I am raking a lot, but that's okay. It makes it's relaxing, and we just kind of stay on top of it, so we can keep everything. Mostly, just rake on the pads, to yeah. be honest with you, and the the big stuff out of the beds. But yeah, that's that's a big thing. That's a big maintenance thing, definitely.
0: Yeah, and just think about how much money you're saving with gym membership. <laughs>
1: Exactly. It's so true, though. When I, when I shovel snow in the winter, I always tell myself, this is my winter exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Cause when would I, when would I ever do get any arm exercise? Like never. So shoveling snow is a good thing. <laughs>
0: I'm curious about the service you contracted with to have your leaves hauled away. Are you able to get the leaves back as mulch or compost?
1: We have not looked into that to see if we can get it back. I know our ultimate goal is to create a compost area behind our garage, and we just haven't gotten to that yet because we've lived here only a year, year and a half. Our yard is so small, it's hard to compost all of our leaves. We have very large, mature white oaks. They produce a lot of leaves. What we do right now is we do leave a lot of the leaves in the beds because we have a lot of beds. We don't have any turf in the backyard. It's mostly beds and hardscape. Really, it's just the leaves that we're raking off the paved areas. I think that's something we need to look into to see if we could get that back or I'm hoping the city uses it for their own purposes, for their own parks and, and green spaces.
0: You've referred to matrix style or matrix look a couple of times. Would you explain matrix style design?
1: Matrix style design, you can think of it in two different ways in terms of an aesthetic approach or an ecological approach. The aesthetic idea of it is it's the green malts or the green underlayment of a plant, kind of like the carpet or the canvas underneath your plantings. It's a continuous aesthetic look that kind of holds the whole design together. For instance, you might have a matrix of grasses. You might have a planting that's 10 by 10, and the whole matrix or ground cover part of it would be grasses, and then you would have your other plants kind of popping out of it. It could be in a shade setting that could be carrots. C-A-R-E-X, plants. <laughs> and then you can mix in maybe, well, ginger and other types of shade plants. It's basically the underlayment that holds the entire planting together. That's the aesthetic version of what a matrix is. The ecological aspect of a matrix, it's um, in Thomas Rainer and Claudia West's book, The Planting in a Post-Wild World, they consider the matrix ground cover layer the green mulch. And basically, instead of using mulch in your plantings, you would use plant materials. This matrix or ground cover layer would hold the the plants down that you wouldn't want or the weeds. The idea is, is if we don't plant something, Mother Nature will. So you would use this matrix planting rigorous lower ground cover to keep those plants down. And this actually goes back to the idea of design plant communities. In design plant communities, you should think of a vertical layering system and the matrix planting would be that lower layer underneath the actual community. Matrix would be plants that would be able to handle those conditions. And So if it's shade, obviously they need to be shade plants. I should say this actually, it it could be a a part sun area or a a sunny area, but a matrix planting could like shade because the plants above it might shade it out. That gets more complicated, but in essence, it's the green mulch that keeps the weeds down. It's a layer that we often don't include. More and more people are writing about it and it's importance to keep those weeds down and to keep those plants down. The idea again is to replace instead of having mulch do that which actually in the end mulch Tends to be more maintenance because you have to keep adding it and weeds still come up. Is the idea of we do this green mulch or this matrix planting instead?
0: You mentioned carrots. What would be another possibility or a couple of possibilities for a green mulch?
1: In the sun, a green mulch would be a lot of people use. Oh, there's so many different plants. Are you going to put me on the spot here? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, it's okay. So in the sun, I know I'm particularly in my... I have a planting that I have in my right of way on the streets and I'm using prairie drop seed. I'm using allium, several, I have like four or five different cultivars of allium. I'm using ajuga in that planting because ajuga is, I like ajuga because it's, you know, it's low to the ground and it's it's pretty rigorous, you know, and it'll it'll keep a lot of things down. I'm using bats as the really low plant that actually creeps and crawls in between the prairie drop seed and the allium. I love that. I know in the backyard, I have a shady area and I use carex and I'm using tiarella right now. I have some coral bells in there also. If you're going to use things like hasses, I I don't know if houses are the greatest matrix plant, but if you have ones that are hugging the ground, the idea is you want plants that are more rhizominous and that are closer to the ground and can compete with other plants that might come through. You want them to be pretty thick and pretty tough. Um, That's why a lot of in the shade, a lot of people use carrots species in particular for that. I like to mix in coarse texture, or larger leaves with them and that's why I like to mix in like tiarella or coral bells or even uh, wild ginger. Wild ginger is better mixed with other plants that are a little bit more thick and cover the ground a little bit better.
0: And I would guess that would need to be something that's not going to climb the plants too, right?
1: Correct. So again, it's that idea of if you read about design plant communities, you want to make sure you use plants that have the same competitive nature. You you definitely don't want to include a plant that's going to take over all the other plants. And so you want to be more careful about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, you talked about design and teaching design, and I know you have a course where you actually teach people how to design their own landscapes. Tell us about that.
1: My website, com, has lots of free information on landscape design and graphics. I finally had the opportunity to design a online course so people can get more in-depth information. And my course that I'm teaching is focused on the graphics of landscape design. I've been teaching at a university for over 10 years now, and I've realized through my classes there, because I teach graphics and I also teach design, how much more confident my students are when they learn design, when they've had a graphics class prior. Eventually, I'll be teaching other classes online for the world. Right now, I started a graphics class and it focuses really on giving people confidence on how to communicate their ideas or garden designs uh, visually. We learn everything from how to give depth, change up line weights in this class, and then we build on those skills and we learn how to draw. I actually use a garden room as my way to organize. This isn't a design class. I use design terminology to structure it. I teach people how to draw the floor of the garden room, and then we learn how to draw the walls, which the walls would be the plants, it could be fences, painting walls, it could be all kinds of things. Then we learn how to draw garden ceilings, which is, you know, pergolas, umbrellas, uh, canopies of trees, learn about how to draw furniture, learn how to color everything in marker and pencil. Finale is I teach everybody how to do quick perspective drawings. The idea is we build up these skills in the beginning with how to draw lines and proper line weights, and we keep using those skills over and over and over again. So by the time you finish, you have these great toolbox of skills that you can use. The class is called Garden Graphics Toolkit and it's really giving everyone the skills, gives them the confidence to be able to draw their ideas that they have in their heads. It's in-depth. I teach it in January. So if you're interested in something like that, definitely go to my website, papergardenworkshop.com and jump on the waiting list. I also am developing a smaller class more on the tools that we use to draw our gardens because I get a lot of questions about what markers do I use, what pens, how do I draw a straight line? So I'll be creating a shorter, like one week type class where people can just jump in and learn what kind of tools to use also. The other thing that's going to be really cool is I'm developing a more consistent newsletter format. People can sign up for my newsletter now. In the past, I've only sent it out maybe once a month. I'm rethinking the whole thing because a lot of people want information on how to design and how to do graphics. My newsletter will be this hopefully fun, quirky, uh, resourceful newsletter that will give really short bits of information every two weeks on a design tip, a graphics tip, and then have links to some of of my posts that I've written in the last 10 years. I have lots of great posts that hopefully help people with their designs, their garden designs, and their graphics. I'll be starting that up here soon. September will be my first formal one in this new format. Those are the, the cool things that I've been teaching and offering for everybody. Everything from free to if someone wants to do a deep dive into graphics, that would be a full-blown course. You can find me at papergardenworkshop.com.
0: This is episode 23, Lisa's Garden Revealed, on the Garden Question podcast. A follow-up to episode 22, Communicating Your Garden Ideas on Paper, with Lisa Maker. Thank you, Lisa. You're tremendous. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time.